This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Well, I'm delighted to carry on the series that we've been doing for quite a few weeks, and we've got a few more to come, uh, about knowing Jesus. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd please love you to turn to a well-known passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, which we are going to read together. Um, I don't know uh, how you're doing in this series so far, but um, uh, we've talked about knowing Jesus being something that's not just knowledge, head knowledge. Uh, Each week we're finding out more about who Jesus is, but the aim of the series isn't just to have lots more information but rather to get to really know the one that we're talking about, which is also to experience him, which goes beyond, the Bible says, just knowledge. So um, how are you doing in terms of knowing Jesus as the weeks go by? You feel you're getting closer to him. Obviously, if you're only here for the first week, that's not a very fair question to ask, but if you've been coming week after week... um, Are you seeing him for who he is? Are you beginning to experience him? Are you finding a desire in your heart to pursue him? There's no point talking about this amazing person and then being passive. We need to be those who really pursue him. Um, I've been a Christian 50 years this year, and my desire to get to know him and to pursue him is just as great as it was 50 years ago, because there's all so much more to know about him and to experience in him. So I trust that's your heart and experience today. Let's read these verses, and today we're going to talk about the humility of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we read together, I hope this just stays up there for a little bit. Can you just go back to the first few verses? Thank you. As we read these first four verses together, I uh, want to ask you, how do you think you're doing in terms of responding to these words that Paul has said? I don't know about you, but in my 
self and in my humanity, I think it's pretty hopeless for me to expect to do everything without selfish ambition. So Paul says, do nothing with selfish ambition. Try doing that. I mean, I, I, most things that I do have an even teeny-weeny little bit of selfish ambition involved in it. Or try this, in humility, count others more significant than me. <laughs> try counting others more significant than yourself in daily life and see how you're going on with that. It is totally contradictory to our nature to actually do something without a little bit of selfish ambition and to count yourself at least equal to others who are around you. By the way, counting yourself equal to others means you're just a little bit more important than the other people. And, you know, if, we, if I or we do express genuine humility, I think we'll kind of do it on the basis that everybody will know that we've just done it. In fact, it's quite easy to become proud about being humble. It's quite easy to mix those two things together and thinking, I was just really full of humility. I wonder how many people saw that. However, this is the good news, when you are clothed with humility or empowered to be humble, that's a different story altogether. When there is a work of God by his grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit, there is just the opportunity that you and I might be able to genuinely be humble and express humility. Verse 5. This is the turning point in this chapter. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, the ultimate experience that you and I will have comes from the ultimate example of humility, which is Jesus. Listen, this is very important. And he is in you. And if you are a child of God today, you are in him. You and I trying to express humility in any shape or form is not on the basis of our self-effort. It is on the basis of what Jesus has set us as an example by having a mindset that's similar to his and then inviting him to come and live his life through us. Then you start to do things without selfish ambition, and you do start to count people more important than yourself. So what I'd like to do in these next few moments is just go through Philippians chapter 2, so you're either looking at it behind here or you're kind of looking at your own Bible. But I just want you to see this, because Paul is saying here, if you and I are to be clothed with humility, it comes by watching this amazing example that is set before us through the humility of Jesus. Got it? We've looked at the glories of Jesus, the emotions of Jesus. Last week was the sinlessness of Jesus. Today's the humility of Jesus. The first thing we see is in verse 6. He did not count equality with God. He did not grasp equality with God. You see, you have to start here. Jesus is God. He is equal to God. He could have stayed in that position of being God, as it were, in that place, in that wonderful, perfect, glorious situation. He could have demanded equality. But it says in this verse, he did not grasp equality with God. 
The first step of humility we see in Jesus is he was willing, by choice, to leave something behind. The Bible talks about the right hand of God, there is a seat and it's empty. And it's a seat that is reserved for only one person to sit on it. And Jesus, before he came to earth, could have sat on that seat. But his humility meant that he understood that by not grasping it, one day it would be given to him. So he did not, though he was equal with God, he did not grasp equality with God, but he knew it would be given, and it would be given to the one who was willing to let go. It's fascinating when you study the Bible to realize that the opposite is completely true of Satan. Satan wanted equality with God. He still does today. So the Bible says because of that pride that entered his heart, God cast him down. But he spent the rest of his time, and still is today, longing for that equality with God. Jesus did not grasp it. The enemy wants to get hold of it. And now look at verse 9, uh, chapter, yeah, chapter 2, verse 9. Look at it. Because he did not grasp equality with God, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In other words, the seat of authority at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has now sat down at the right hand of the, heart of the Father. He who humbles himself, this is the principle I want us to get hold of, he who humbles himself will be exalted. You don't have to make it happen. It's something that is given to you when you express genuine humility. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Truly, says Jesus, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It also says in Matthew 23 and verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He said this to the Pharisees that were sitting there full of pride and wanting to be seen for everything they'd done. He says, you know, if you don't humble yourself, you will in the end never be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. I think of all the times that in my own life I have tried to grasp things, get the attention of others, self-promote Make sure that I've been seen upset and offended when my picture didn't appear in a magazine that it should have appeared in. And every time I've tried to exalt myself, <clears throat> it's always ended in failure. It's always ended in a sense of loss. And it's the most amazing thing that Jesus sets us the example of humility, that he could have grasped equality with God, but for your sake and mine, he let go of it so that it would be given back to him because he came and lived and died and rose again from the dead and he's ascended and sits now, today, in all authority above every name that can be named. Here's the second thing. 
says in verse 7 that he emptied himself. This is where some people get confused and start going into error um, and heresy without even knowing that they've really done it. So let me try and help you <laughs> and correct you. Jesus emptied himself of all that he was to become fully man. Now, when it says that he emptied himself, it does not mean that he left his divinity behind. I was in a meeting once, big meeting, and the preacher said, in order for Jesus to empty himself, he left his divinity behind. And as he said that, he was almost sucked off the stage by the front row because it was like, <gasps> what are you saying? When Jesus walked this earth, he was fully man. He emptied himself in that he was still fully God, but he limited himself into our humanity. For example, Jesus, when he walked on earth, submitted himself to all kinds of things. He submitted himself to his mum and dad. He submitted himself to being a carpenter's son. He submitted himself to the Roman authorities that were around. He didn't have to do any of that. He could have just wiped everything and everybody out with one breath because he was fully God. But he limited himself in that he did not allow himself to do those things. So listen, folks. The God who created everything came to creation because the only way for man to be made right with God was for God to become man. And so he emptied himself of things that he could have held on to for the sake of displaying to us his love and his humanity. I find preaching this word this morning difficult because the words that we use in our English language do not even get near to describing what's actually going on here. This is humility on another level. You're talking about the God of the universe that created everything, who emptied himself, who, you have to say this, stooped down. And he came to this... I mean, you've been hearing things lately about how big the universe is. If you live any longer, you're just going to hear it's bigger than you thought it was. I mean, it's just galaxies upon millions and trillions of galaxies. He left all of that that he created to come to this tiny speck to be born into the womb of a teenager, unmarried mother, not in a palace, but in a cattle yard. He emptied himself and he did it willingly. A frail, vulnerable human being born into poverty, born into obscurity, hidden away. And you know the story when, when uh, Joseph and Mary had to flee and went to Egypt and he was a refugee. So the God of the universe becomes a refugee. People that you and I see on beaches because they're trying to flee one country to go to another. He was the lowest of the low. He left perfect glory to come to our absolute mess. And then when he begins his ministry, he just continues to empty himself, to be full of humility. That wonderful moment to begin his ministry when he 
He sees the water, he sees John the Baptist, and he submits himself. That's what humility does. He bows, he submits himself to baptism. And John says, you should be baptizing me. <laughs> it should be me baptizing. Nevertheless, he says, I need to be baptized. You see there this wonderful example of humility. Then he hangs out with a load of uneducated fishermen. This is the king of the universe who knows everything, and he hangs out with fishermen who think they know more than he does. He's constantly, every day, in that place of humility. It says this of Jesus, he had nowhere to lay his head. And everywhere he went, without possessions or position, he expressed the emptying of himself. Number three, verse seven still. Having said all of that, he then becomes a servant he actually puts himself in that position. The expression of humility in every day of his life is that he lived out what he taught, and that was serving everybody. So, folks, he not only left equality with God by choice to come here that you and I could know him, he not only emptied himself, he also and became a human being, but he became a certain type of human being. And a certain type of human being was a servant. A servants are people that run around doing other people's bidding. Servants are people that you don't notice much when they are around. They're not places, people of honor. They're not places that sit at the top of the table. They're people who are serving those who did. And expressed his humility in everyday life by being like that. It says of him, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And I can only imagine that there are so many, many examples of how Jesus was a servant that are totally unrecorded. He lived every day, so you don't hear about every day of his life. But every day of his life, he was in the position of being someone who serves. And again, I don't mind serving as long as everybody knows and sees it. And when we do see the pictures of Jesus serving, they are extraordinary examples. Disciples, kids, clear off, Jesus. Let the children come to me. And at that moment, the king of the universe who created everything is bouncing a child on his knee and serving humanity. The wonderful attention that he gives to individuals. Have you noticed that? The woman at the well and... And, and the rich young ruler and Nicodemus who comes to see him, he's just got time. Servants have got time. He's just serving in that particular moment. It says of Jesus, the common people welcomed him gladly. John chapter 13 is one of the most wonderful examples of how Jesus served. It's, it's that moment of every day he serves on display. Can I set you a little bit of homework? Am I allowed to do that? I don't know. You don't have to do it, and there's no exam, and no one's going to mark your papers. Take some time this week, in the light of this, this preach today, and just read through John chapter 13. The story when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and the whole process. And of course, that was something on display of his servant heart, and it was there so that others would then go and do likewise. His followers are to serve like he did. Leadership, any form of leadership, is servant leadership. 
It's never lording it over people or despising people because this is the example that Jesus sets to each one of us. It says this in Matthew 20 um, and verse 26. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Matthew 23 and verse 11 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus humbled himself to humanity, but primarily to be a servant of all. What do you think? Does Jesus set the example of humility? Does he set the example of what it means to truly be humble? Let's go back to Philippians uh, chapter 2. And, a f- and, and the final phrase to look at in this chapter is this, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The final expression of humility is his willingness to die on the cross. He humbled himself unto death. Stay with me, please. It's going to get practical in a moment. I keep mentioning this. The king of the universe who left it willingly to come to earth, to empty himself, to take on humanity like you and me, to be a servant at every level, then submits himself to death itself. No need to do that. No need to die, but chose to. No need to go to the grave, but chose to. And so when it says he humbled himself even unto death, and to that death on a cross, far be it from me to argue with Scripture, but I think it's an understatement. I mean, what we're reading there, it just, when you step back from it for a moment, what is this? And whether you like it or not, and this is the truth, crucifixion was one of the most humiliating ways to die. And he chose to go through it for you and for me and for all mankind. And the cross brings shame Every Jew saw anyone that died on the cross as the lowest of the low, the criminal. And in their understanding, anyone who dies on a tree, which is what the cross is, is cursed. So this is Jesus, God, being cursed publicly. And don't give in to these strange little medieval pictures of the cross where Jesus is carefully kind of covered in certain parts of his being. He was naked. And that brings a shame, the God of the world naked on a cross. The shame and the horror of all of that. And we haven't even got to the real purpose. As you heard last week, that our sin was then placed on him. That he who knew no sin became sin that you and I would be forgiven and our sin could be eradicated forever. And then the wrath of God was then placed upon him. 
And he said, Father, where are you? Have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, he's left all alone, the ultimate humility. You see, he didn't have to do any of those things. He could have wiped out everybody by one breath of his mouth. And what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. And then he submits himself to the grave, the horrors of death. And as I said earlier, you have to understand as you stand back from this humility of Jesus to understand he did it for you, for me, for the whole of humanity. There is no doubt that this is the most remarkable display of humility that has ever been seen in the entirety of the history of this universe. Nothing else, whatever you see in terms of, well, that was humble, what, what an expression of humility. It doesn't even come close to the example of Jesus. You and I are following the most wonderful example of humility. Well, it would be good to stop it all there, but we can't. Because there needs to be an application. Because the context of Philippians chapter 2 is Paul says all this that you and I might begin to express humility. That we might know what it means to humble ourselves. So let's get practical as we come to a close. Knowing his humility in our daily life. How are we going to do this? Well, I'm going to suggest to you three ways really quickly. First of all, We get to know his humility in our lives by knowing the life of Jesus in us. That's why we need in this series not just to know about Jesus, but to really know him. And one of the ways we can know him through a living, living reality is by him and his life pulsating in ours. The only hope I've got of expressing any kind of humility or or humbling myself is not through me, but it is through him. This one we've just described is alive, and he's living in you and in me. And Jesus said this, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. Abiding is not automatic. That means to remain in, to dwell. And so if as a Christian... On a daily basis, you make this choice. Today, Lord, I can't get through today. I can't do the things you've called me to do in my own strength, but I choose today to abide in you. And that is a choice that you make. And every time you make that choice, he then runs to you and abides in you. The promise is fulfilled. And this is a lifestyle. And if you are a Christian today and you have become born again, you're a new creation, there is a new DNA in you because Jesus is in you. And the Bible says, you know, you used to have a bias towards sin. Now in the new DNA, you have a bias towards righteousness. And you used to have a bias towards pride. And now you have a bias towards humility. Okay? If you come and live with me for the rest of next week, you'll definitely see a work in progress. There may be a bias within me, but there's a long, long, long way to go. But, and I want you to really hear this, there's something we can do about this life of Jesus in us. There's these funny little phrases in Scripture. We've kind of touched on a few of them. One says, clothe yourself with humility. That is an action sentence. 
That is a by faith moment. There's another phrase that says, put on. It's interesting, like, put on the life of Jesus. Put on the example of Jesus. Clothe yourself, which is why it says in Philippians 2, 5, have this same mindset. What you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, put it on. By faith, clothe yourself with humility. This is what Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, then, here's the phrase, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Here it is. Put on humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Or if you like, you who are younger, submit yourself to people who are wiser than you. It's a kind of humbling thing to do that. In our society, we despise old age and gray hair. In fact, I'm amazed I'm still allowed to stand on this platform. But in many societies, it's not like that. You honor which means that you clothe yourself with humility when there's an older generation around. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's an amazing statement, which brings us on to the second of the three things. He gives you grace for every situation that you find yourselves in. Look at this, James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, have you got it? And gives grace to the humble. I just find this so encouraging that the grace of God is not just a wonderful doctrine, though it is, but it has power to enter your life and enable you to do things that you would never be able to do in your own strength. And you know, if I can just say this, to be humble, whatever that looks like, you and I need grace in order for that to become a reality. And grace, which is a wonderful doctrine, permeates every part of your life, and then it helps you to be flooded with humility. So first of all, we're knowing the grace of God. Sorry, first of all, we're knowing the humility of Jesus by not trying in our own effort, but by abiding in him and letting his life abide in us. The humility we've been talking about in Philippians 2 can become a reality in your life and mine as well. But then he also gives abundant grace to enable you to express humility. Family life. Do you think you need humility for your family to work? Families are not working for lots of reasons, but one of them is no one's expressing any humility or admitting mistakes when they make them or preferring other people. Marriage. Do you know the only way that marriage, for those of you who can marriage, is work, it works is if you're clothed with humility. 
Bible says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Try doing that on a Monday morning. You need the grace of God. Because loving your wife as Christ loved the church means you've got to be full of humility. Because he sets that example. Raising children. There's a verse in the Bible that says, fathers, do not be exasperated by your children. I mean, it's, it's just there. Don't be exasperated. Well, how many fathers have ever been exasperated by their children? I'm not going to ask you to hold yet. Okay, two, three. <laughs> Any more hands? I see that hand. Brilliant. There it is. We get exasperated. How do you not? By gritting our teeth? No. By saying, Lord, please give me grace for my kids. And if there's any kids here today still here, you need grace for you know who. So it's important. Those annoying family members, part of your family, do you not feel you need grace for them? The workplace. I know some of you still go to the office. There's a few of you left. But in the work environment, knowing that actually as a Christian, there's opportunities for you genuinely, I mean this seriously, to express something of humility when everyone else is not. Humility for your neighbours, those people in your street who, or maybe even next door, make a lot of noise. Because your family never makes noise. Being clothed with humility. And then what about the church? I'm really going quick because I need to come to an end. But the church itself, there are so many verses about one another. Having humility for one another. In other words, in a church community, we, we do church without prejudice. To one another. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, says Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to be a community of people who are flooded with humility for one another. I was thinking about this and thought, well, what does it look like? Well, I think it, it means listening. I think every time you don't come in with an opinion to start with, but you listen to what other people have got to say. So in a church community, because we're a family and we're all equal, whoever we are, when you say, well, I think, there comes a moment where it's got to be submitted to what do we all think? What do we think? Since the death of uh, the tragic death of George Floyd, whenever that was, nearly two years ago, I guess, um, we started here in the church a, a race advisory group. And as elders, we met with them two weeks ago. Is it two weeks ago? I went into this meeting to hear them reporting back to how we're doing as a church when it comes to diversity. I didn't say much that evening, but I listened. I really, really wanted to listen. And I think that when it comes to being clothed with humility, we listen, we learn, we serve, we forgive, we bless one another because we need that in our lives. One of the things that's fun about starting geographic communities is you don't get to choose who you hang out with. Got it? You end up living with the people in your locality that you may not choose. 
It's both a blessing and a challenge all at the same time. But if we are to experience a community of grace, then it will begin to affect everything. Third and final, and if you've been in this church for five minutes, you know this is not going to surprise you. The third and final point is this. We desperately need to understand humility and being humble in the way that Jesus was has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. He is our helper, which means that every time you get to a place where you find humility and being humble really, really difficult, you can think of the example of Jesus, but you can be empowered to do it by the Holy Spirit within you. Our worship was about stirring up this desire for more of the Spirit. Our worship was waiting upon the Lord. Our worship was about him coming upon us. It's the power of the self of the spirit, not trying hard or self-effort that is going to make this happen. I wonder if the band will just like to come back and join me, and I, can I ask you all to stand where you are? You know, the, the global pandemic of these last two years for church has meant we had to spend an awful lot of time away from one another. And uh, this is not good news when you understand that church is an embodied people. It's not a building. It's not a screen that you look at people. It's the gathered body where God dwells by his spirit. And my prayer is this. As we begin to regather. As we begin to welcome new people, we've estimated there's 60 to 70 people who are wanting to join new community right now. That's wonderful. As we gather and new people come and people are reaching out to the gospel, I pray, Lord, that what people will find, even in our inadequate expression and our mistakes and our pride and getting so many things wrong that they will find a people, that we will become a people after you, knowing Jesus, knowing the humility of Jesus. And I pray today that some of us will be once again overwhelmed by your amazing example of humility that we see in that chapter of Philippians. How incredible. I've not been able to do it anywhere near justice. But Lord, we thank you for the one who did not grasp equality with God, who emptied himself, became a human being, and then expressed servanthood, and then even went to the most awful, humiliating death that could ever be designed by mankind. And you did it all for us. And you did it all because of your love. And you did it all willingly and freely. What love is this? You laid aside everything. But you didn't have to. And you came to dwell amongst us. And then you say, now you go and do likewise. And we think, how on earth are we going to do this? This is impossible. And then we understand 
that when we live in you, the living Jesus who's come to dwell within us, when we turn away from trying harder self-effort and, and come before you and say, Lord, I can't do this, we find that you are there. Hallelujah. You don't condemn us. Even when we get proud, you don't turn away from us. You just say, come again. Come again, come again. And thank you for grace. I thank you for the abundance of grace. Grace is given to the humble. And I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, our helper, who's come alongside us to enable us to express humility and what it means to be humble in ways that we could not do in ourselves. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us also to be clothed with humility towards one another. And as new community begins to reset itself in congregations and and in venues and in communities, may we begin to experience these things and be a wonderful light, an example to a world. We look at our news, we don't see a lot of grace around at the moment. We don't see a lot of humility around. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're so wonderful. You're so different. And you've come and invaded our lives. Hallelujah.